on what has sometimes been described as the greatest adventure ever, but which was, in fact, the end of her life as well as his at that moment. He was dead, had passed away some time during the night as he slept, perhaps dreaming of the new day and all that it would never bring. Dr. Christmas, Market Darley's force medical examiner, had attended and later carried out the post-mortem. It became apparent that P.C. Green had died from sudden adult death syndrome, and that there had been no way it could have been foretold, prevented, or treated. It was just one of those filthy tricks that life sometimes plays when things seem to be going well. This made the news no better, though, and the station was under a pall of gloom. Officers shuffled round without their usual optimism and hope that they would win the war against crime. P.C. Green had done a lot of work with C.I.D., and his loss was felt well beyond the uniformed branch of the service. His fiancée, meanwhile, had been missing from work since finding his body. Her absence was as much of a reminder of his late status as his. Claustrophobic, depressive January had certainly pulled no punches this year, and it had got off to a terrible start with the grim news of Green's death. The whole station, shocked beyond belief, had gone into collective mourning. Where once every corridor and office had thronged with life and enthusiasm, staff now shuffled from room to room, their gazes downcast, their mood introspective. Superintendent Chivers, in an unusually human gesture, had permitted the wearing of black armbands for the week of the funeral, which had taken place the day before, and merry quips were even off the menu in the canteen. The sobriety of the atmosphere in the station was an ironic contrast to the cheery colours of the flowers, sent in tribute to the station, and displayed throughout the public areas of the building in Green's memory. Twinkle Star had gone straight from the funeral to her parents' house in the north of England, having dragooned a friend to collect all her personal possessions from her locker, and had already applied for a transfer, to be taken up after a suitable period of compassionate leave. She had decided that she would keep in touch with no one, as she felt she would never recover, and wanted to wipe all memories of the couple's happy time together from her mind. She needed to reset the clock of her life and start from ground zero. It was unbearable for her to think now of the future she and Merv had planned together. So every morning, D.S. Carmichael, particularly affected by the loss of P.C. Green, because of the man's similar age to his own, and because he, Carmichael, had had few personal rather than professional dealings with death, woke in the gloom of the month's early hours. He put the dogs on their leads and headed out into the misty chill of the dead woods, where the surroundings matched his mood. There were other early morning dog walkers and solitary wanderers to be found occasionally in the woods around the village of Castle Farthing. Carmichael would usually have waved and called a cheery greeting to each person he passed, but recently this was not in his mood span. He would merely give the briefest of nods and keep his eyes cast down in retrospection. There was a hole in his life where his colleague had been, and he did not comprehend how to fill it at the moment. He was surprised by how shaken events had left him, as he dealt on a regular basis with the deaths of strangers, and had felt himself a little inured to it. Even his immediate superior, Detective Inspector Harry Falconer, 
had become more morose and gloomy than usual. Never one of life's ebullient people, unlike Green, who had been full of joie de vivre, Falconer's serious and phlegmatic outlook on life had sunk almost into a miasma of gloom. There was little communication between them in their shared office, and most tasks were carried out with a minimum of conversation. The other officer who worked with them, and who had not known Green well, felt excluded. Not part of the club that constant professional contact with the deceased had engendered. Giving a decisive tug on the dog's leads, Carmichael headed back to the metalled road that would take him home for breakfast, before facing another day in what felt like an undertaker's establishment. In his less gloomy moments, he did have the sensitivity to feel sorry for D.C. Tomlinson, who had not been there long enough to be part of the gang, but he didn't spend a lot of time on